Welcome to Against the Tide, a series of interviews with the leaders of disruptive businesses. I'm Anthony Garn. In today's episode, we focus on IPSX, the world's only stock exchange dedicated to real assets, the most familiar being real estate, but also infrastructure. This is a business which democratises access to an asset class which has attractive and largely predictable financial returns, but which, until the launch of this innovative exchange, was out of reach for many types of investors. Democratising access to the asset class has benefits for both asset owners as well as investors. Reimagining real asset investment by providing a public market proxy for direct investment with proper price discovery, regulation and liquidity. It also goes some way to changing real estate, which despite its scale and sophistication, from being an alternative asset class to being a mainstream one. Before going any further, I should declare that I am the founder of IPSX, so I am obviously a big fan. Launching a stock exchange is not an everyday event, and challenging age-old practices in the real estate world as well as the equity capital markets, make the launch of IPSX a genuinely historic event. Joining me today to discuss the business and its mission is David Delaney, Group Chief Executive of IPSX. David, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Anthony. I want to spend most of the time today talking about what IPSX actually is and the problem that it solves for in democratising access to real estate. But first, perhaps you'd be kind enough to give us just a little bit of background on yourself. Anthony, my, my background is not in real estate. I'm a, I'm a bond guy. You know, I was 20 years at Credit Suisse in fixed income, both in London and New York. I ran uh, sales for interest rate products there. I then had four years at Thomson Reuters on the data side, uh, running a strategic client business in Europe. And then after dabbling in fintech for a couple of years, I then joined IPSX. Getting down to the nuts and bolts, could you give us the elevator pitch for the company? IPSX is a stock exchange. I say that because quite often people say, oh, yes, I get it. You're a fund, right? No, IPSX is a stock exchange. We received our recognition, as the phrase is, from the FCA in January 2019 from our prime market. So that makes us one of seven RIEs in the, in the country, along with the London Stock Exchange and the London Metals Exchange. We received our interestingly named non-objection order to our wholesale market in December of 2019. We have market makers such as Peel Hunt, Panmure Gordon, Canaccord and WH Ireland. So trading equities on IPSX will have exactly the same look and feel as trading Vodafone shares on the LSE. The difference is that we are focused on single asset institutional grade commercial real estate. For example, the Gherkin. At the moment, if you own the Gherkin, your choices are really own the Gherkin or sell the Gherkin. And if you want to sell the Gherkin, given it's worth a billion pounds, you're extremely limited in your audience. What IPSX does is give the owner of the Gherkin an alternative. It says, take the Gherkin, put it in an SPV, then float that company in our exchange, minimum free float 25%, maximum free float 100%. And now you, as the owner of the Gherkin, have three additional benefits. The first is flexibility. You don't have to sell the whole of the Gherkin. I just want to sell 40% of it to, to take some capital out to develop other projects. 
The second benefit is that now you can attract a much, much broader and deeper pool of capital. Everything from the man in the street who wants to put £5,000 into a SIP or ISO all the way up to BlackRock and everybody in between. The third benefit is that you may want to keep the asset management contract of the Gherkin. You may say, I want to, I want to reduce ownership of the Gherkin, but I want to keep the asset management contract because I see that as a, as a very valuable asset for me. What you've just described, obviously, is the democratisation of access to this asset class. Could you talk a little bit more about the investor proposition? What does IPSX bring for you as an investor? Well, it brings you access to a £950 billion new asset class called UK commercial real estate. Historically, for most investors, apart from the very largest investors, this asset class was unattainable. And it was also, if we're honest with ourselves, unregulated, illiquid and opaque. Only a few days ago, I was reading a piece by the chief investment officer of a large US investment management firm, proclaiming the beauty and benefits, in in fact, the miraculous nature of stock exchanges, because they are the path to allow you to put away money for value in the future that you, you don't need necessarily at the moment, and also to be able to sell in reverse whenever you do need that cash, with the benefits still of the future value of that company. And of course, this is what exchanges are all about, providing that liquidity that you're talking about, but hitherto not available in real estate. So when you look at the different challenges that the exchange faced, obviously regulation, financing, infrastructure, and perhaps we could just talk a little bit about infrastructure, because I think that's the one in a way which, whilst all of these have been very challenging, infrastructure is still something that's ongoing, and that the IPSX proposition is somewhat different to many others. Yes, uh, infrastructure is a huge challenge, and it's something that is one of the reasons, I think, why, frankly, this hasn't been done before. We essentially outsource all of our technological infrastructure. And so I mentioned before, we use NASDAQ uh, for our backbone. We use Fidesa, we use IRS, we use Morningstar, we use Quanthouse, a range of technology companies. In my introduction to this episode, I said that building an exchange is no mean feat. And of course, everyone can understand that with the technology providers that have been pulled together to make the exchange work, and of course, to satisfy the very high bar of regulatory approval from the FCA. And as I say, I think this is one of the key challenges why such an exchange hasn't been built before, because there's an awful lot of wood to chop. In the past, IPSX has talked about reimagining real estate investment, and obviously that means mindset change not just for real estate uh, individuals, but also for the financial services world. And specifically, I would say that is in accessing the plurality of investors. I know you also have some very clear views on the segmentation of those uh, potential investors. And so I wonder if you could just share with us some thoughts on that. When we think about distribution IPSX, we can think of eight different distribution channels covering family offices, covering private banks, covering institutions, covering retail such as Hargreaves, but also covering IFAs, also covering what we think of as new retail platforms like eToro or Revolut. And we also think about the real estate agents and how they can distribute shares. So IPSX is going to be bringing a much, much broader distribution footprint to real estate issues than is currently being enjoyed in public markets. And that, I think, Anthony, is going to be the USP specifically of IPSX. Whilst we're touching on USPs, What other features does IPSX have which differentiate it from the generic 
everyday equity exchange that you can find all over the world. There are a couple of additional USPs which I think are interesting. One of them is, is the fact that we are expecting that our issues will enjoy a lower equity beta than issues on the London Stock Exchange. Now, why do I say that? Well, real estate on the London Stock Exchange currently has a, a market cap that's slightly less than Unilever. Real estate trades like other equities. Real estate gets knocked about by the S&P 500 moves. It get knocked, gets knocked about by non-farm payroll. We think that having a real estate-only stock exchange means that our issues, whilst they will clearly have some equity beta, they're equities after all, but in this instance, because it's a real estate-only stock exchange, we think there's going to be lower equity beta than if you're issuing on the London Stock Exchange. Now, that is something that real estate buyers recognize and they find it really resonates with them because they don't want to have the same equity beta as investing in the FTSE 100. If they want to invest in the FTSE 100, they could buy an ETF on the FTSE 100. But they want to invest in real estate. And so as a result of that, you know, they want to see something with lower equity beta. So that's, that, that, that's one crucial thing that I think we're going to see with IPSX issues that you cannot replicate in other exchanges that are, by definition, you know, multi-sector. One of the other benefits, I think, that IPSX will bring to the market is an increased move towards seeing real estate valued more on a cash flow basis as opposed to on an NAV basis. As I think you know, David, this is an area which I believe very strongly in that real estate should be valued on a cash flow basis to reflect the risk of those future cash flows. And indeed, this is a sector which has an unusually low estimation error as a component of the valuation. And there are other jurisdictions that clearly have picked up the idea of funds from operation as a better multiple for valuing uh, companies in the public markets in particular uh, that are real estate businesses than the UK. The corollary to the USPs that we've just been discussing and the uniqueness and the relevance of IPSX for real estate investors is that it's hugely scalable. Could you give us some idea of what the plans might be for growing the business? Absolutely, Anthony. The vision for the exchange has always been that the exchange can grow around the world. When I think of the three secular drivers for why the exchange makes sense now, it's firstly, because ever since the global financial crisis, regulators prefer exchange trading to OTC markets. Secondly, because there remains a global capital glut looking for a home, looking for safe investments. And thirdly, because of the super low level of interest rates that actually has obviously been exacerbated with COVID, where they're even lower than normal. Now, when I think about those three secular drivers, you know, what's interesting about them is they're not changing anytime soon, and they have global ramifications. You know, the regulatory one is, is a global issue. Uh, the, the, the capital glut, well, that, that's global by definition. And the third one, I think, is, is, is super interesting, is the low-level interest rates. Because what oftentimes investors don't appreciate is that we've gone through a period over the last 30 years, 40 years, which is generally most investors' frame of reference for interest rates, where interest rates were unusually high. That's not normal. Base rates not normally 10%. One of my favorite graphs is the UK interest rates since 1750. What it shows you is that 
for 200 years, interest rates were incredibly low. And then only in the last 40, 40, 50 years, did interest rates spike up in the late 70s, and then really went through a rally where they, they, they got, became lower from the 80s until now. But what they've really done is they've returned to trend. So the fact that now interest rates are very low and therefore makes things like investment in real estate more attractive is a trend that is not going away again. So when I think of those three secular trends, you know, that's why I think that the IPSX model is hugely scalable. The second area that I think is interesting for IPSX, and it's something that some investors recognize, but a lot of investors don't recognize, is how data plays a key part in the business model for stock exchanges. Some of the biggest stock exchanges are really data businesses more than capital markets businesses in some ways. And so you know, data is obviously a hugely scalable business, and that is something that gives IPSX great opportunities. You know, both in real-time data and reference data. So, you know, what's the trading price of an, of an equity at any given time? Uh, in indices that are used on benchmarks for, for real estate funds. And then finally, indices that are used on ETFs. There's a huge opportunity in the ETF space where historically, real estate ETFs have been relatively small and really really quite unpopular in the, in the UK. And the reason I say that is because of the lack of available underlying products. You know, in, in, in round numbers, there are 56 billion of uh, ETFs in the US on, uh, based on real estate. There's around 9 billion in Europe. And yet in the UK, there's only about 750 million pounds worth of ETFs based on real estate. And yet, real estate is structurally an asset class that investors love. It's an asset class that is high yielding, certainly relative to bonds at the moment and and to equities. And it's an asset class that generally investors are familiar with. And yet there isn't a, a liquid and broad ETF market. What IPSX can bring is, say, 500 issues, 1,000 issues of different buildings on which you can build ETFs. So you can build ETFs on London offices. You can build ETFs on regional data centers. You could build ETFs on a whole range of different things. And the ability to do that is going to be largely driven by the ability to source the underlying asset, which you can't do at the moment because it's not available. At the moment, if you want to build an ETF, you've got to buy Segro and you've got to buy Tritex and you've got to buy Land Securities. That doesn't really help the investor have a, a defined expression of where they would like to invest in UK real estate. So that, I think, is a huge, huge, interesting opportunity, Anthony. And I think that is also one of the things that, that, that is extremely scalable about the IPSX model. Just one last point on the data discussion, uh, moving away from the market-related data pieces. One of the interesting comments that was made to me very early on in the life or the, the life cycle, if you want, of the exchange uh, from the RICS was looking at the fact that the public markets allow for consistency of data and indeed a repository of data, something that doesn't exist. And if you look around the world at different ways of measuring buildings, something which usually goes to price, it's the Wild West in certain jurisdictions. So the advent of a public market with a common framework for sharing and updating data is something which I know would be welcomed, particularly by the investment community, but also 
by the real estate world as well. Moving on to the theme of use cases for owners, one of the areas which at least I find very fascinating, and I think, uh, David, you'll comment uh, on this directly, is the fact that half the UK commercial real estate market is actually owner-occupied. And that means that actually those assets are embedded in many big companies' balance sheets or maybe in central or local government. But IPSX offers the opportunity not to have to lose strategic control of those assets, but the opportunity to be able to monetize hidden value, if you want. And I, I can only think that at the moment, particularly as we hopefully come out of COVID, the opportunity, therefore, for releasing value to invest in the new future, uh, a, a somewhat hackneyed phrase maybe, but genuinely one where there is a relevance given the new philosophy around digitization and indeed other strategies reinventing specific sector verticals, that IPSX offers an opportunity for people to release value. Absolutely, Anthony, and I'm very glad you, you mentioned that. I mean, it's a interesting quote from Anne Richards of Fidelity a few weeks ago in the FT talking about the fact that as we need greater capital to get up, get the economy out of the pandemic, she makes the observation that there's not enough capital in institutional funds to do that. And she makes the observation that, therefore, we as an economy need to find essentially new source of capital to finance ourselves as, as we grow out of the pandemic. And I think that plays exactly to IPSX. And it plays exactly to your observation about local government owner-occupiers. You know, people who don't want to sell their, 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 their real estate, they just want to realize some capital to do other things with it with with and to invest invest in other areas and that's absolutely one of the, the key benefits of ipsx if you think of my example of the uh, of the gherkin earlier on in our conversation Anthony, exactly the same example could be could be taken with say a FTSE 100 company and their and their corporate headquarters you know if you were a FTSE 100 company you own your corporate headquarters say it's worth 250 million pounds and you wanted to release say 100 million pounds of of, of capital to pay down debt or to develop, to develop um, some, another business. You know, IPSX is a perfect way to do that. If you compare that to, as you, as you mentioned, sale and lease back, that's a lot more onerous. It creates more, much more of a straitjacket for the owner-occupier, whereas a simple IPO where the owner-occupier retains a majority stake in the company that then owns the asset is absolutely perfect for owner-occupiers. And similarly with central and local government, the ability to retain ownership, which is important oftentimes to central and local government in their in their local um, in, their, in their local strategies and and, and and their local developments, and yet bring in capital is critical. And it's and no other other method of, of fundraising we think gives the owner the same flexibility and yet access to what is a huge pool of cap potential capital. David, as you know, my day job is as banker. I'm pleased to report that I am extremely busy working with issuers planning to list their companies, uh, which is obviously their real estate, on IPSX. But perhaps you could just give us some commentary as to what will be the first issuer to go live on the market. That's very exciting for us, Anthony, and I'm very glad you asked me that. We're currently working, or the issuer is currently working on the first issue. Uh, it's been in the press, and so we can talk about it as the, as the mailbox in Birmingham. It's a 680,000 square foot 
building, multi-purpose, biggest tenant is the BBC. We expect that this, this company will come to, come to our wholesale market at some point over the next six weeks. That is, of course, extremely good news, and thank you for the update. Um, I hope that that will be followed by a deluge of other issuers uh, coming to uh, build the IPSX business and provide investors with access to this incredibly attractive asset class. My last question, if I may, is one that I tend to ask all my guests, um, and that is around the idea that if you had a magic wand and you were able to magic up anything that dealt with any of the operational or strategic challenges that you faced running IPSX, or indeed even just dealing with a to-do, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question, Anthony. Um, I like the magic wand I, I, I angle of that, so I think I'll think I'll, I'll take your magic wand if I may. I think there are there, there, are, there are two things. I, I, I want to bring two things that are, that are slightly different here. You, you mentioned... Um, earlier about you know being first and the first issue and that sort of stuff um i think there's a very interesting very very narrow difference between fear of being first and fear of missing out and we see this within our capital markets business very very acutely you know we've got an all a, a very very robust pipeline of 38 different issues that are e- eager to come to the market and there's a sense of, but I don't necessarily want to be first. So if I could magic one thing up, I'd magic our first issue up to have happened already because we believe that that will open the floodgates for issuance. We believe that so many issuers will come to the market once they see the first issue out in trading. So if I could magic something up, whilst I'm very excited about Mailbox Reap PLC coming to the market in, in, in a few weeks' time, if I, could, if I could magic something up that had already happened, it would be our first issue would already be trading because that would get so many potential issuers over the I don't want to be first but fear of missing out conundrum. The other thing that I think is worth magicking up with the wand and I think think it's fascinating from the value, it illustrates the value that IPSX can bring to the broad investment community. I, I fervently believe whilst you know, IPS is not solely focused by by any means on retail investors. I firmly believe that what IPSX brings to the retail investment community, and that's everybody from the man in the street with a cash ISA to a Hargreaves account, everything in between, someone who's managing his own his or her own SIP, they are desperate for quality inflation beating investments. And there's been a secular change over the last decade of investors, the, the man in the street, the woman in the street, self-investing. We've seen it with a huge growth in SIPs. We've seen the huge growth in ISAs. We've seen it in the move for investors taking DB pension schemes out and converting them into self-managed. And yet their ability to get quality assets they would like to invest in is extremely limited. What IPSX brings is exactly what they're after. So if I could use your magic wands to bring something instantly to me, it would be our ability to communicate clearly with that broad retail marketplace. The challenge we have is that that marketplace is on the one hand, I estimate at one trillion pounds across cash ISAs and and funds in in the retail platforms. 
and yet it's amazingly fragmented. And so how we get in front of that marketplace is a huge challenge. And it's frustrating for me because I know we have the product they want. I know that when they see it, they will buy it. And yet the challenge of how to consistently get in front of them is huge, full stop. Great full stop. And thank you for those thoughts, David. I'm pretty sure that our discussion will have helped people to understand a bit more about IPSX and its functionality. And hopefully, uh, looking at your magic wand desires, also some of the listeners today may actually have realised that actually some of the new investment opportunities that IPSX may offer may suit their own personal investment requirements. David, it's been a great pleasure having you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for having me, Anthony. I really, I really enjoyed our chat this afternoon.